Hey guys, welcome to the Safe Space Podcast. You're with your host, Emma. And Hester. Today, we're going to be talking about gay poems and poetry. Yeah, we are. Going to dive right into the sonnets. The dive sexy right sonnets. into the sonnets we are. Have you ever written any poems for anyone, Em? Have I ever written any poems for anyone? My mum, when I was three years old. Oh, I bet they were good as well. Uh, I think they were very good. I've written, I've written quite a few poems just for myself. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Self-care, self-love. Self-care, self-love. Love it. But not for anyone yet. Ah. <laughs> so we have all the wordsmith within all of us. What about you? Have you ever written any poems? Of course I have ever. <laughs> Many a poem. Epic poems. Epic? Mm-hmm. Wow. Who, who, who too? Wouldn't you like to know? Right, I see. To all the boys. All the boys? No, no, all the boys. All the boys and the girls. Just the girls. Okay. Just, <laughs> just the girls. Just the girls. <laughs> all right? Okay. Right. Anyway, so, should we... Should we dive right in? We could dive right in, but we could say what we're doing today. Oh, yeah, today. Yeah, no, that is a good point. So, yeah, do that. So, today we are going to be talking about poetry, mm-hmm. the origins of poetry. Love. And then, later on, we have a special guest, a friend of mine, Day Matter, mm-hmm. who is a fabulous Liverpool-born queer poet. Slay. Called Day. What a great name. Oh, here comes the day. I know. What's more important than the day? The night. Yes. I'm doing my own poetry, you see. <laughs> I'm getting into the You're swing thinking. of it. I'm getting into the groove. Well, anyway, Day is going to talk to us about poetry, mm-hmm. what it's like to be a poet, why that they're a poet, yeah, you what poetry is all about, how yeah. poetry can help us. Very much looking forward to that. Should we dive right in? We'll dive right in. <laughs> Emma. Yes. Did you know that gay people actually invented poetry? Did they? <laughs> Did they? So I have a theory that all poets are gay. Okay. One of my theories. <laughs> One of your classic theories. Go on, tell me about it. Now, when people wrote, when boys wrote poetry in school, mm-hmm. what do people, people used to call them? Oh, yeah, some slurs. Were gay. Just, yeah. We called is, them gay. That is true, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very attributed to being a sissy, being sensitive, mm. not being masculine. When women wrote poetry, what were they? Admired. Intense. Intense, yeah. Never been. AKA lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> that made me think, it always made me think, wow, poets. And then all the poets, I'd like, I'd read poetry as a kid, and then I'd like later find out, ooh, they were a bit fruity or they were a bit gay. And it's just, it, it made me think that actually all poets are gay, and actually maybe the, po- the gays invented poetry. I see. Because if women wrote poetry, they were lesbian, and if men po- wrote poetry, they were gay. Yes. Logical scientific conclusion. Also, if you think about it, it was mm-hmm. a way for gay people to express themselves. Yes. Within this flowery language where they could kind of like play Get away with, with it. Yeah, characters and things like yeah. that. And they, they, they wouldn't necessarily need to explicitly say it, but they could secretly say very, very, very queer things. Yes, they could queer code it. We could queer code it, exactly. It's mm. It's prime territory for queer coding classic poetry so we're going to take a trip back in time you and me let's go to 600 bc i'm there sappho sappho she was a greek poetess she was she was the first one to write lyric poetry which is the basis of lyrics which is the basis of songs which is the great basis of everything right she wrote about many things and yes you guessed it that includes women (laughs) for example sappho's all too familiar poetic take on the lesbian breakup. Oh, please read on. Me? Yeah. Frankly, I wish I were dead. When she left, <laughs> she wept a great deal. She said to me, 
This parting must be endured, Sappho. I go unwillingly. Wow, see? Now, if that ain't a, a lesbian, lesbian breakup, if that ain't the last words of a lesbian love affair, then I don't know what is. It's like the first record of the first ever lesbian breakup. Isn't it? Written in a very beautiful way. Mm-hmm. 600 BC. Crikey. So Sappho founded a school for girls mm-hmm. and people would send their young women from all over Europe to go and learn from Sappho. Okay. In her birthplace, Lesbos. Lesbos. Mm-hmm. Which is where the word lesbian actually came from. Would you look at that? So, OG poet, OG lesbian. Sappho, slay. <laughs> Did poetry make the lesbian or the lesbian make the <laughs> Which one came first? It's like the chicken or the egg. Next, Roman mm-hmm. Empire. We've got Virgil. We're talking 70 BC right wow. now. So Virgil was widely regarded as Rome's most important poet. And he never married, but when his poetry got him famous, he gradually became very good friends with the most important men in the Roman Empire. Ooh. Got into some high places, this poetry, didn't Mm -hmm. it? So he wrote three of the biggest bangers in poetry, basically. One of which is about the unrequited love of a little cute shepherd and a beauteous boy named Alexis. So the story of the poem is the shepherd, very disappointed because Alexis is not impressed by his flock of sheep. Oh, no. Classic. Yeah. Or his gifts of fruits and flowers. Oh, gift giving. It's a love, love... It's a love language. Love, love language. And in the poem, Alexis gets the ick... Oh, classic. From the shepherd. The shepherd's got it so bad that he actually thinks he's going to go insane. You ever been there? (laughs) Maybe a few times. But eventually, the shepherd picks himself up and realises he'll find some new Alexis down the road. Oh, good on him. Yeah. Good on him. Classic. Mr. Shepherd. Next. It's the year 757. I remember it well. The Abu Nuaz was one of the most important poets of the Islamic world. Uh Aha. And he worshipped wine, partying, and the erotic. I know a few gays like that. (laughs) Most importantly, the (laughs) homoerotic. Now, despite these things being deemed haram by Islam, he disregarded the rules and he was loved for it. Slay. He wrote poems that are pretty outrageous by today's standards. Really? Just like this one. In the bathhouse, the mysteries hidden by trousers are revealed to you. All becomes radiantly manifest. Feast your eyes without restraint. Mm-hmm. You see handsome buttocks, shapely trimmed torsos. You hear the guys whispering pious formulas to one another. Ah, what a place of pleasure in the bathhouse, even when the towel bearers come in and spoil the fun a, a bit. <laughs> so Abu was enjoying the bathhouse. He was a bit cheeky with the bathhouse. A little bit cheeky with the bathhouse. The bathhouse sounds like a bit of a vibe, I'm not going to lie. Mm. Next, let's go to Persia, shall we? <laughs> It's the 14th century. 14th century. And the famous poet Hafiz, he was known as Sugarlips for his raunchy poems. And apparently he preferred the taverns to the mosques, meaning nice. he liked going down the pub. <laughs> um, shall we hear one from Sugarlips? Let's hear one from Sugarlips. Here we go. It happens all the time in heaven and someday it will begin to happen again on earth that men and women who are married and men and men who are lovers... And women and women who give each other light often get down on their knees and while so tenderly holding their lover's hand, with tears in their eyes will sincerely speak, saying, My dear, how can I be more loving to you? How can I be more kind? Mm-hmm. Sugar lips. Sugar lips. Getting down on yeah. his knees. <laughs> oh, God. Next, Michelangelo. Michelangelo. Famous Italian sculptor and painter. We know him well. Also wrote homoerotic love sonnets, which is no surprise given his lifelong worshipping of the male physique. We've seen those statues, Michelangelo. We've seen your statues, Michael. We know what you like. (laughs) 
Next, let's take a trip back to your old Britain, shall we? Elizabethan era. Well, William then. Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. It's the 16th century playwright and poet William Shakespeare wrote about many kinds of love, one of which was unarguably queer. For instance, Shakespeare's Sonnet 20 is an open declaration of love by one man for another. You don't hear that often, do you, from you, William Shakespeare? Uh, well, you, yeah, you know. You, I mean, you do, do you? I don't know. <laughs> I've heard that he was a woman, but that was St Trinian's. don't think that is solid evidence. No, it's not. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make the cut, really. <laughs> um, many historians weren't a fan of this assumption in the early days, but... Give the poem a read because it's undeniably gay. Next, we've got our old friend Lord Byron. Okay. Byer by name, Byer by nature. (laughs) He wrote a 50-page poem. Lengthy. Very lengthy. (laughs) That claimed that homosexuality was just a vibe and that pretty much took the piss out of society's heteronormative ways. That is king shit. That is king shit or lord shit. Lord shit. (laughs) Of course. Next, it's the 1820s and we've got ourselves one of my favourites, Walt Whitman. Mm-hmm. He was a great American poet who wrote openly homoerotic love poems, which encouraged fluidity in gender and sexuality. Many viewed these poems as obscene, but he wrote them anyway. Should you have a little read? Let's do it. He writes, If you will be thrusting me beneath your clothing where I feel the throbs of your heart, merely touching you is enough. It is best. Mm-hmm. He's a bit of a romantic old Walt. I love that. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. But the list goes on, Emma. Oh, craggy. There's Emily Dickinson. <gasps> Do you love that? Dickinson. Have you ever seen it on Apple TV? I've not actually watched it, though. You would love it. I know. I need to get around to it. I do need to get around to it. Do it. The legendary Frenchie, Arthur Rimbaud, who had a very chaotic twink love affair with Paul, Paul Verlaine. I remember this story. <laughs> There's playwright and poet Oscar Wilde. Wildy. Sorry. Who couldn't stop writing about gay shit. In fact, his most famous play, The Importance of Being Earnest, which basically means the importance of being yourself, is thought to be an entire metaphor about homosexuality in society. And in fact, the word earnest was used at the time to describe gayness in secret. Wow. There you go. He wrote about his lover, Alfred Douglas, in many poems and this letter. He is witty, graceful, lovely to look at, lovable to be with. He also ruined my life, so I can't help loving him. It is the only thing to do. <laughs> mm, hard relate, hard relate there, Oscar. It's so, always the it's always the wild ones, isn't it? Wild. It just shows that gay love just hasn't changed over the many decades. It really hasn't. Chaotic as you want it. We love it. But Emma, the list goes on. Oh my word. There's Renee Vivian. There's Lewis Sanuda, Langston Hughes, W. H. Auden, Allen Ginsberg, and finally a favourite of mine, Audrey Lord who described herself as a black lesbian mother warrior poet. If you haven't read her, what get you your head in the books. Yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get your head in the books. So Emma, I ask, is poetry an invention of the gays? Why do we love it so much? I think it is. It, poem, poems are gay. Poems are gay. You've heard it here first, guys. That's the scientific conclusion. That is. Now, I think poetry is gay because it's mm. it's it was able to be used as a language to describe things, mm. delicate things. Mm but in a very vague way. I also think it has a lot to do with like the class system. Because poets were quite upper class, they were able to... They were able to be gay more. Yeah, because it was considered sophisticated to yeah, write yeah, poetry. Yeah, yeah. And the artists. Yeah, it's like, and the oh, eccentric. It's just, it's just art. Oh, they're not gay, it's just art. Yeah, they're just, it's fine. They're not gay, they're just eccentric. They're just, yeah, just flamboyant. Yeah, you're right there. But I'm not an expert, but let's talk to our dearly beloved friend, Day Matter, who is an expert. Over to you, Day. <laughs> 
Hey, we're here with Dame Matar. Lovely Dame Matar. Bonjour. Who is a poet, Bonjour. a queer Bonjour. poet from Liverpool, from where I'm from as well. That's right, Quagzilla. <laughs> <laughs> so Dame, would you like to tell a little bit about yourself to the audience? Yeah, uh, my name is Day. Um, I'm a queer poet from Liverpool. Um, I'm really silly and playful and I take myself very seriously, but also not at all. Um, I've had four coffees this morning. <laughs> nice. I wear shorts till November because I'm resilient and can't stand winter and refuse to accept it here. Um... What else? I've just started life modelling in a college, which is fab. Lovely. You started being the model. Yeah, it was really sweet. There were some kids yesterday. I've got I've got self harm up and down my arms, and you know all the kids who go to college, they're all queer and mm-hmm. you know the misfits, and they were all looking at me and they were all like, oh, you you know, one of them came up to me afterwards and was like, you're you're very brave to have your scars out. I was like, oh, that's so oh, sweet. She's like, I hope one day I can be like you. And then another one came up to me and was like. Oh, it must be terrible <laughs> to have scars up and down your arms. <laughs> I was like, no, actually, I quite like them. They're like tiger stripes. He was like, no, 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 it must be terrible. <laughs> did you always know you'd be a poet? Did I? Or, no. So I guess when did I know I was a poet? Um, well, we were asked in school to write poetry. Mm-hmm. First book I read of my own accord was Alice in Wonderland, which is like lyrical. And my nan is Irish and the Irish have like a particular storytelling quality to mm-hmm. like whatever they say. Yeah, I just love narratives and storytelling. Um, and I guess I had a particular point of view and I recognised that people listened to other people who could do stories mm. and the qualities of storytelling are like an ability to hold attention so how I was like how do you hold attention how is my nan doing that or how are these other people doing that mm. and I guess it was like musicality which is lyricism the musicality of the quality of what's being said or like the vessel and then the thing that is inside the vessel has to also then be interesting mm-hmm. which is my nan would talk about her days in Ireland like picking blackberries and being chased by horses and yeah, she was from Waterford, Nanny May. Wow. I want to ask you, so with your poems, obviously your nan would talk about Ireland. What sort of stuff, what's the stories you want to tell? So it's changed. Mm-hmm. As I'm going to change because I'm changing. It used to be I had a very specific subject. I was, I don't want this to be like my personal trauma dump, but you want to talk about your trauma. You want to mm-hmm. talk about the thing that you've not been allowed to talk about. And I used to talk about that. That was my subject. That was what I was obsessed with writing about, which is what made me such a serious writer. I was like, I need Mm. to find the perfect vessel to tell the story that I want to tell and I will not be misunderstood. I wanted to not be misunderstood. So that's why I was so, like, obsessed. Mm. Um, And now I'm more interested in... I mean, I'll write for myself about love or I'll write about seagulls. I'm obsessed with seagulls. Love... They are resolute, they are ruthless, brutal bastards. They will Mm. guzzle a whole rat and they stalk the rooftops like cats. They just, and I always say, like, whenever someone says, Are you scousers? I was, I'm scousers, a box of seagulls. Anyway, um, I'm more interested now in telling the stories. I don't want to tell my, I mean, I'll tell my own stories within time and that'll happen. Um, But I want other people to have their stories told Mm. because I'm everyone's. No, everyone's kind of already heard my story. 
through other people. Yeah, yeah I learned yeah. this morning that you have, in order to go back 12 generations, you've got 4,070 family members to go back 12 generations. The maths is, I've got it on my phone. <laughs> so there's already thousands of people just related to me who've already lived probably a life like yeah. mine. Mm. So it's like, oh, who really cares? Like, I mean, who cares is not the point. It's just mm. there are other voices equally important. So I run a school called Queer Bodies. Right. Which is um, for um, Northern based queer poets. Um, it's a collective of writers and people who want to write or people who haven't written that want to write or serious writers who want to explore more radical forms. And we wanted it to be accessible. So we made it all online um, or we had to make it online. Um, and then for 12 weeks, we just studied queer poetry on a Thursday wow. night for two hours. We invited a poet called Sean Hewitt, who is fab and writes lots of nature poetry and um, to do a masterclass. Um, and now some of the poets from it are doing fab things. Mm. Um, and we've repeated the process and we're going to repeat it again next year. Um, Gosh. With a six week course on queer spirituality, um, queer ecology and queer form. And then it's going to be spanned over two years. Wow. What defines queer poetry to you? Uh, queer, for me, is more like a verb than a noun. Mm. I am in the process of being queer, which is constantly changing. Because it changes with its environment, changes with what culture you came from, it changes with what country you came from. Like, If 80% of the world was gay, mm. to be queer would be straight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's queer to me just means the other. It means like mm. the shadow or the less, yeah, the the slanted. Mm -hmm. but queer people are born kind of orphans from their Roman communities. Um, and we have to go seeking mm. queerness. You're not born into a culture. It's so true. That is marginalised because your parents are like furby and straight or not <laughs> um, so we have to kind of go out and seek we're, we're kind of we're, we're given an alternative narrative from the from the get-go so i guess that's why poetry is important to me because i would write poems that would make and, and poetry made me feel like i had a voice um kind of not when i was younger but like i would think about like oscar wilde and stuff who was imprisoned for the being queer and I don't know why did he write why did he write everything that he wrote while he was in there? I guess he thought that because poetry was like a, an esteemed art that eventually someone would read it. Yeah, his voice get it. would eventually be heard. Mm. Um whilst being literally like imprisoned mm. in And what do you think poetry gives to people when you teach them? Just speaking alone. Um sometimes isn't enough. You have to add musicality to it and like repetition or refrain, like saying one phrase over and over again or repeating it throughout. Um, like adverts or like spells or like Bible verses, anything that has repetition in it or pattern or music that is attached to the linguistic is easier to remember and recognize and therefore stands out so for people for queer people in particular or kind of any marginalized group poetry is a really good tool with which to be heard 
Um, it's just people want to be seen, they want to be witnessed, and that's super, that's, that's, it's important. It feels important. Mm-hmm. Shall I read a poem? Yeah, why don't you read a poem? I wrote this poem, it was called For Attention, and this is kind of speaking to what I was talking about before, with poetry being the, the tool with which I would be heard more or be given attention. With the, with the sexual assault I experienced as a kid, there was something always in me that I had, that I knew I couldn't talk about. Mm. So I wanted to be heard in other ways. I wanted to demonstrate the thing that I wasn't saying in action. Mm. So this poem is kind of yeah, associated with that in mind. For attention. I was 10 when I learned that I could hold my breath long enough to make the adults come learn. At the traffic lights after school, I tensed until my face screeched with blood and stars. I shattered two teeth on the concrete, was made a fuss of. It wasn't enough just to ask for love. I needed panic. It was the language, the formula that I understood. Harm yourself, love will follow. My tiny face found suspended in the coat rack, looking for attention. Cord from dad's dressing gown in a double knot around my neck. His little balloon. We're always trying to like analyze or talk kind of academically about these things when mm-hmm. it's so much easier to show rather yeah. than tell. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I do so much talent. Please let me just mm. show you. Language when it's in a poetic form or in a lyric a lyrical form kind of becomes an object. It becomes like a it becomes the closer to the physical uh, than just language on its own because it has an impact on the physical. Like, so if, I, if you've just been impacted emotionally by what I just read to you, then it's had a somatic effect, like a physical effect on you, because maybe your blood runs a bit quicker, or maybe, mm. like, your eyes fill with water, or maybe, like, you become... You think of your own memory. So mm-hmm. there's, like, there's chemical stuff happening. Mm. Yeah. Um, and language in the right order can do that. It's fascinating, though, isn't it? Language is just, yeah, magic. Yeah. But what does it look like when you write a poem? Like, do, does it come to you? How does it look? My poems are a little bit like wells. That's what metaphor I keep using, the well of this poem more. Like like the idea of like you throw down. Oh, actually, no, because there is a poem where <laughs> someone says, can you imagine being so lonely that you'll go out into the middle of the night and you'll throw something down a well just so you can feel something at the bottom tug at the other end. Mm. Oh, my God, I know, fuck off. It's just so, it's horrible and sad. Amazing, horrible and sad. Um, good little slip of a poem that just really <laughs> slips right through the cracks. Um, so, yeah, I throw an idea down a well and then just see what comes out. Mm-hmm. What memories get touched. Mm, on the sides. Or I once spent like seven hours on a train in Australia and I wrote down one memory of shame, just one memory of, of shame, and then 
So and I was like, yeah, I'd like 29 pages of other memories associated with shame or having been caught doing something. Um, and they all just like dominoes. Do, 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 do. Wow. And I was on a train as well. And I always think that anything that is like a transitory space, mm-hmm. like a like an airport or a train station or being on a train, not being on a plane, I can't stand that. <laughs> um, but yeah, being on a train is the perfect place to write. Because mm. you've got nothing else to do, really. There's no obs- there's no like obligation. Mm-hmm. So all you can do is kind of sit and observe the window and like everything kind of passing. Yeah. So there's something like the the landscape quickly changing, then makes your brain kind of do mm-hmm. the same kind of like kinetically move through your. Oh, it's amazing limbs. what what the body does mm. for the mind, and especially when it comes to writing. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to be really careful with poems, you know, because if what you say flippantly can manifest, then what you say unflippantly can do so even more. Mm. Like you really write your own, you write your own future in a way. Mm. How do you mean? Um by what I was choosing to write about, I was choosing very long for a very long time to write about sexual abuse, mm. which started as an exploration. And then because it was unmanaged, propelled into obsession. Mm. And then I became, I wasn't acting obsessed. I was obsessed. I was not the verb. I was the noun. I became obsessed with writing about it. And I was so sad. Um, and what you choose to focus on, which doesn't at the time feel like a choice, yeah. what you choose to focus on, you, yeah, you kind of become, um, which is not anything, no one's saying anything new here, it's but, but, and poets return to this, we're all writing about death and love and grief, we're all writing about sex, we're all writing about the same subjects, but what's important is finding a singular way of doing that. Well, it's not important actually, because who cares whether or not you read my poems or not. But if it's important to you to be heard, then being a singular voice, being easy to pull out of a crowd, makes you um, noticeable. What's your like opinion on people that have like really like not much language, so not great vocabulary and stuff like that? Do you think they still have the ability to express themselves? Yes, as long as something can be said simply. Yeah, I think mean, that's the main thing. Yeah, don't complicate what doesn't need to be complicated. Mm-hmm. It and they. The use of the pronoun they as opposed to the objectifying it. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about anything natural or in nature, look at that tree. Isn't it beautiful? Aren't its leaves gorgeous? Look at that tree. Aren't they beautiful? Aren't their leaves gorgeous? An ex of mine was an ecologist and it was really important to them to have that emotional door opened Mm. that the word it does not allow, but the pronoun they does allow because I can relate to a they. And maybe by just that simple switch we will be able to approach how we change the world Mm -hmm. uh, a bit better because we only move on what we're moved emotionally by you have to 
feel, and then you move. So if I feel towards a tree, or if I feel towards a magpie, the mind will curse mm. and then act upon. The biggest kind of emotional motivator for me the last year and a half has been uh, a breakup that I experienced in February 2022, um, which just triggered a bunch of grief that I had from God knows how it was unexpressed because I've ex I thought I'd expressed it in my poetry. I thought I'd expressed it like by going out and getting wellied. I thought I'd expressed it by cutting myself. I thought I'd expressed it by fucking moving across the world to a different continent. But apparently my grief wasn't done expressing its fucking self. So <laughs> anyway, all this grief and I avoided it with sex um, and drinking. Um, I had a, a very kind of unhealthy relationship with sex, um, which stems from my, I believe stems from the abuse I experienced as a kid. Um, and I used to, yeah, just have lots of unhealthy sexual experiences. And one of them was cruising. Uh, not that cruising is a negative experience for everyone. It was just negative for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now here's the poem. Cruising code. <sighs> Sunset. Cemetery. A solo cricket rubs together the edges of their forewings, alerting potential mates to their location. Or is it some stranger running their thumb down the teeth of a column? My grief can't stand itself. So here I am, beyond a desire for love, in red shorts and shin-high converse, pissing against the tree. It's Tuesday and the stranger just swallowed what might have been a baby. Is this less pitiful since I've written it? Is it kinder? to discard myself beneath the sycamore. In reality, addiction is mundane as salt and I recently feel nothing when I lie. A robin sends out a distress call and I circle this carpet of nettles. An animal, disgusted by its own animal nature, Tell me, is that man with his foot cocked against the grave an invitation or a plea? And when he pretends not to look, what does he pretend not to see? His sorry self or some me? Yeah, grief. Right, day. Do you wanna do you wanna do the honey poem or do you not? Yeah. Do you, would on. you like to do it? Yeah, go on. So Honey is a poem that I wrote in 2019 uh, at a poetry workshop run by Travis Alabanza. Oh wow. Uh there was a I was stabbed in Liverpool after a night out with my friends. 
and I was bevied, so I didn't feel it. So there was no, there was no pain. Um, and I just remember we were like waddling home and my friend Brendan was on his bike and he had a face of drag. And these two scally lads cycled past and they were like, take that mask off. And Brendan was like, I can't, it's my face. And they, they just, they decided to kind of focus on us. And I was wearing fishnets and hot pants and a pink t-shirt with slashes in it. Like, and they decided to kind of circle us. And I was just really obsessed with the idea of going getting cheesy chips and chicken. And I just could not think about anything else. So I just, anything that would get us close to the, to the cheesy chips, I was like, come on, I'll be honest with this. Um, and they tried to steal my friend's bag. And then, and I was holding me, I was holding me shoes because my feet were hurting because I'd been dancing. And one of them grabbed me shoes off me and was like, run or we'll stab you. There's glass on the floor, I've got no shoes on, I'm not running. And then one of them had a pen knife and I was just like, you are not fucking joking, you're actually gonna stab me over some fucking shoes. And there was no reason for it. So I just got really angry. Um, and then one of them came up behind me because I was getting angry. But anyway, yeah, it's a, it's probably quite triggering to hear it. I don't feel triggered by it because it's, it was, yeah, maybe I, maybe I haven't processed it um, entirely. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I wrote this poem in a Travis Alabanza workshop where Travis asked us to write about queerness as if it was a physical object. And I wrote about honey um, because honey is uh, fluid and sticky and sweet. And I suppose that's how I see myself. Honey. The people are hungry. Get up out of bed and to pity. Get dressed and feed them. Drizzle the molten honey of your hair along the banister, out the door and into the sun. Dab the tip of your index finger into the dip of your collarbone and anoint each stranger with the sugar that pools there. Tilt the jar of your mouth to the concrete and drew out kindness to the two boys who shouted faggot and pressed a knife to the hollow of your neck, stabbed you in the shoulder and ran. Honey, get up. Mark the progress of your healing on every lamppost. Decorate each doorknob with a gold rosette. Flood every letterbox. Get up. Make each sticky footprint a forgiveness. Go on. Yeah. Uh, the word hate crime really bothered me. It's like, they don't know me. Mm -hmm. You can't hate someone you don't know. You can hate an idea, you can hate a concept or a thought, but they didn't know me and they also don't hate. I, 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 this is where language becomes, yeah, I, it becomes slippy for me. So like, does, they just hate the alternative lifestyle or something that gets mm -hmm. in the way of them and what they want or 
Yeah, yeah these, these lads must have just hated their lives um, or hated the way that they were being treated by their parents or by society. Um, and the hate was redirected at me because I was the loudest thing there mm-hmm. to be seen. I was the biggest canvas to shoot paint at because they were just a subject of the environment they were living in. So what actually needs to change is the society. The environment. And so. the environment. It takes a lot of energy to hate. It does. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It's like love. I suppose like you're not ever really in love forever, are you? It's like a passing thing. It comes and goes. Well, love can be a projection too. <gasps> Deep, right? There's an amazing poem. I don't know what word for word or the title of it or the person who wrote it, but there's a poem that says, when we're young, the first thing we love, we don't have the language to explain it. So it's usually just like a piece of fabric or like, because we like the feeling of something. So that love is like pure because um, it's the first thing you love. It's like a piece of fabric or it's like the taste of something. So when we love in the future, whoever we love in the future, we're actually just trying to hear fabric or love that corner of the table mm. or i don't know we're, the, we're trying to love the first thing that we loved and to mm-hmm. replicate that um so i do believe that i already love the person the last i already love the last person i'm gonna love oh because i've already loved the first thing that i love and it's just gonna yeah Same. it's just gonna manifest in a different way the feeling of love is not really going to change but the conditions in which i experience it will mm. and the person i give it to will change thank you dave you've been both very generous um being listened to and offering space for people to be listened to by audiences that want it is important <laughs> all right well yeah. we've been safe space thanks for watching bye Yeah. <laughs>